Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We're going to continue our series, Airplane Mode, where we talk about spiritual disciplines. You know, in today's busy world, it's, it's a challenge to develop and deepen our relationship with God. It means we need to unplug from the constant noise that's going on around us and connect with God more than anything. And we've talked about a couple of spiritual disciplines. Today, we're going to talk about prayer. Think about the, the power of prayer. I know in my life that if I want someone to pray for me, I've got some prayer warriors that I can call. I know that when I ask them to pray, I know they're going to pray. And it's always good to be able to have that. You know, when I was a kid, it was always fun whenever the power went off because we wouldn't stay home. We'd just go somewhere and do something because if the power went off, you know, a big storm came, power went off. You, you want to go out and see what happened. You know, where, where did it happen and how long is this going to take? And then just, you know, kind of, you know, you know, there's no air conditioning. You don't need to open the refrigerator. So let's just remove ourselves from that. And let's go exploring. And it was always fun. But think about it. We got this invisible power in our homes called electricity. And uh, it's what turns on the TV and the toaster and the oven and the lights. And yet uh, all that stuff works because of an invisible power called electricity. Now, just because it's uh, has access to electricity doesn't mean it works until you flip the switch. You've got to flip the switch and turn the power on. And what I want to say to you today is that prayer is like that. Prayer is a channel of communication between us and God, and it has the power to change your life and to change mine. And we need to be aware of the power of prayer and how do we uh, tap into that. Edward McKendry Bounds, he was a Civil War chaplain um, back in the day. He was a prayer warrior. He's written probably eight or so books, I think, uh, are, are out there today that are written by him. Um, he was known for his prayer life. He would get up uh, early in the morning and he would pray three hours every morning. Uh, it's great if you want to read more about prayer and the power of prayer. Check out E.M. Bounds sometime. But Ian Bounds said that God shapes the world by prayer. And he said that the story of every great Christian achievement is the history of answered prayer. Think about that. Well, today we're going to talk about prayer. And I want to tell you something. Prayer is so important that the gospel accounts record that uh, there was one occasion when uh, the, the uh, disciples approached Jesus and said, Lord, would you teach us something? And they were, that something was very specific. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, teach us to teach. They didn't say, show us how you do those miracles so we can do them too. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because behind the scenes, when the crowds went away, they saw Jesus withdraw and pray to the Father. And as a result of that practice and that habit, they saw God use him in a mighty way and they connected the dots uh, and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And that's where you get the Lord's Prayer from. We're going to look at the account of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 6, the first uh, book in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 6, before the Lord's Prayer, Jesus begins to teach on prayer. And in Matthew 6 verse 5, he says, Whenever you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites 
because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, he's not banning public prayer. There's nothing wrong with public prayer. And when we come as the people of God to worship, prayer is part of that. But what he is condemning is back in that day, there were religious people that would go out into the street and stand on the street corner and here, there, and yonder, and they would do it for show. They would do it for show. They would pray out in public in the marketplace, in the square, in order to be seen by people. And Jesus is saying, don't pray to be seen by man. Pray to be heard by God. There's a difference. Uh, Those who pray to be seen by man, they're going to get noticed, and that's their reward. But those who pray to be heard by God, they're going to get answers in their prayers, and that's their reward. And, And I don't know about you, but there's a big difference. I'd much rather be heard by God than seen by man. In the next couple verses, Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8, Jesus continued, when you pray. In other words, the assumption was you will pray at some point. So when you pray, do this. He says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. In preparing for this message, it was kind of humorous. I got on a on a tangent, if you will, because you can get online, you can go to YouTube, and you can start searching, you know, awkward prayers and stuff, and you'll find some funny moments probably from clips and TV shows where they portray somebody that's in a position, you know, maybe if they're at a dinner table or whatever, and they've never prayed, and somebody says, won't you pray? And they're like, and you can tell they don't know what they're doing, they're, they're nervous, you know, and they start talking, and then they don't know what to say, so you know what happens when people don't know what to say? The worst thing is they keep talking, right? And they they keep talking and talking. And Jesus is saying, look, when you pray, don't go on and on and on and on and on. Don't think that the amount of the words or the length of the prayer makes it more effective because that's not what it's about. He says, matter of fact, your Father knows what you need before you do. And you know, when I had a very astute person one time in a previous congregation, they came up to me one time after we were studying this particular passage of Scripture, and they said, Brother Corey, i got a question for you. And I said, what's that? They said, why should I pray if God knows what I need before I even ask Him? And I said, you know, that's a very, very good question. But I'll say now what I said then, and that is this. Our approach to prayer, and that's what Jesus is talking about in these verses, our approach to prayer should be relational and not transactional. Now, that, I think, is a challenge in our day and time. I'll never forget a couple years ago, it was about this time, it was right before school started, and, um, and uh, Ethan needed a certain calculator for math, and Nancy got on the computer, and Walmart was out, and so we ended up having to get it from a, a Walmart in Laurel County, and I remember going over there, and uh, I had the email receipt, Gordon, I walked in, I went to the pickup area, you know, that orange area, and I walked up to this. At the time, I didn't know what it was. It looked like an an ATM machine or something over there. What is that? I kind of cautiously step up, and I I scanned the code, and there it is. I walked in, 
I got what I had already paid for. I walked out, and I didn't, see a, I didn't say a single word to anybody. We have become very transactional today in, in, you know, in retail. Let's be honest, we really have. And yet, when it comes to prayer, prayer is not transactional. We, now, we want to make it that, that way and say, well, I'm asking God for something, and I'm hoping He gives it to me. But it's much more than that, okay? It's kind of like what Danny was portraying. God has, has tore that, that veil in the temple, and He wants to get to know you, and He wants to get to know me. It's about a relationship. Yes, God knows what you need before you ask. But He wants you to come to Him. He wants you to connect with Him. He wants you to learn to depend on Him. He wants that relationship. So our approach to prayer should be relational and not transactional. And then Jesus leads in with what is known as the Lord's Prayer there in Matthew chapter 6 as we begin uh, in verse um, uh, 9. He says, therefore, in other words, we just talked about the approach we should have in prayer, that you, you seek to be heard by God, not seen by man. You seek to be relational with God and not transactional. So therefore, you should pray like this, or you should pray in this manner. And we're familiar with the Lord's Prayer at this point. Now, Jesus provides a pattern here in the Lord's Prayer to show us how to pray. Now, I know that the Lord's Prayer is very popular. Many times people will meet together and they will quote it out loud or they will pray it out loud. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. But this prayer is not meant to be repeated as a ritual prayer. The purpose of this was to show us how to pray. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray in Luke 11 as the other account of the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus said to pray in this manner. And he gives us a beautiful framework uh, of a model of how to pray. So I'm going to break this down today. Uh, number one is attention. He says, therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven. The first thing that we need to do when it comes to prayer is to give God our attention. Now, how can we do that? I'm reminded of Hebrews 4, where it says, since we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, Jesus is the one that died to make salvation possible for you and I. And as, as, as uh, Danny alluded to a while ago, a lot of things happened when Jesus died on the cross. And one of the things that happened was the, the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of, of, the, of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that God had done it because of what happened to Jesus on the cross. And now you and I can approach this throne of God, which is now considered a throne of grace, that we can come boldly receiving mercy and finding grace in our time of need. We now, through prayer, can approach God directly and personally. No wonder John in 1 John 3 said, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. 
You see, here, uh, because of our relationship with the Father, we can gain His attention, and therefore we give Him our full attention. And so think about it. The attention part of this prayer that I want you to think about is how do you know when you pray God's going to listen? That's, that's a popular question sometimes. How do I know that God's going to listen? Are you a child of God? He, he loves His children. He answers their prayers. If we're in a crowd and uh, one of my kids is trying to uh, get my attention, they call my name and, and I respond. Why? because they're my child and they're calling on my name. Guess what? When we know the Lord Jesus Christ, when we, when we have God as our Heavenly Father and we call on His name, our Father in Heaven, we gain His attention. And not only do we gain His attention, but as we approach Him, we give Him our full attention. That's how you have to start prayer. The second thing we see in this model prayer is adore. It says, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. You know, when we honor someone, uh, we, we have adoration for them. We have respect. We have, we have reverence. And when it comes to approaching the Lord, not only do we seek His attention and we give Him our full attention, but we want to honor Him. We're aware that He's God and we're not. Uh, I love it where it says, Your name be honored as holy. It reminded me of Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. And then Psalm 100 verse 3. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are His. His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless his name. You know, when you can call on the name of the Lord, when He is your Father in heaven, then you take a moment to acknowledge who He is. Uh, if, if nothing else, it's a reminding us that we need Him, that we're depending on Him, that He is our Lord, our Master. He's our Savior. He's our Shepherd. He cares for us. And so we honor His name. Uh, I, I would love to go on a side note here and just say that it'd be a blessing to you sometime if you haven't done this, just to look in the Bible at all the different names for God, okay? God has several names in Scripture, and each name re reveals a, a, another aspect of God's character, okay? Um, you know, Jesus in, in the New Testament, He had several names. He says, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. He said, I am the living water. If you'll drink from me, you'll never thirst again. He said, I am the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. Um, God has many names in the Bible. And when you begin to recognize a name of God, it reveals to you an aspect of his character. You know, Abraham, he learned that one of God's names is the Lord will provide. And, and when he learned that the Lord is a provider, then whenever he had a need, he said, Lord, 
You are my provider. I, I have a need here. I don't know what I'm going to do about it. I don't know how I'm going to figure out a way to meet it. But Lord, I'm coming to You and I'm going to trust You and I'm going to depend on You to be my provider and meet this need. And so I encourage you sometimes just to study the Bible and when you discover a name of God, pay attention to how that reveals an aspect of God's character. So we give God our attention and we adore Him. And then the third part of this model prayer is advance. Notice the next part of the prayer in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, you and I want to advance God's kingdom and God's will on this earth. That's the goal in our prayers. You know, think about it. If we use this as a model prayer, the first thing we want to do is we want to seek God and give Him our full attention. We want to remind Him of His relationship to us. Father, you know, we come to You right now and, and we, we're acknowledging that we, we're giving Him our full attention and we have His attention and we adore Him. Thank You for being my Savior. Thank You for being my Father. Thank You for this. Thank You for that. And then we offer ourselves if we're going to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven let's start with us and so I'm reminded of Romans 12 Romans 12 1 therefore brothers and sisters in view of the mercies of God I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true worship do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good pleasing and perfect will of God. If you and I want to discern and know what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God, then let's start with ourselves. Lord, before I ask you to do all these things in the world that you created and that you own, I want to offer myself. Lord, take me. Have your will and your way in me. And then begin to pray about the way that God can have His will and way in your life, in your family, in your church, in our community, in our nation. Whatever it is that He lays on your heart that day, God, I pray that Your will be done in this area, uh, in this sphere of life. And then be able to trust God with that in prayer. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know Him or acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. You know, many times when you talk to God in prayer about something, if you bring it up and you offer it to Him, then don't hang on to it. Let Him have it, okay? I, I know I've had people tell me before, well, I came to the altar to pray, and I was going to give something to God. And then, because worry and fear continued to grip me, when I got up from the altar and walked back, I just took the backpack with me. I carried the burden with me. That's not how it works. When you and I pray to God and we, we say, Lord, I'm, I'm, you're my provider. I have this need. I don't know how to meet it. I don't know what to do. But, Lord, you're the provider. I'm going to trust you with this. Then when you give him that, you release it. You let it go. You let him have it. And pray that He'll do something with it. That He'll work in it, through it, or whatever in His way, in His time. And when we trust Him, when we don't rely on our own understanding, when we seek to know Him and acknowledge Him in all things, then He will take it and He'll direct our path. How do we understand the model prayer? We give God our attention. We begin to adore Him. We seek to advance His will, His kingdom, His purpose. And then the fourth part of this model prayer is ask. 
Now, here's the thing. Prayer does come down to asking and who you're asking, God. But it's so much more than that. Do you realize in this model prayer there's three things we have done before we get to asking God for something? You know, when you come to God, you can get His attention and you can give Him your attention when you know that He's your Father and you're His child. When you begin to come in a spirit of of thanksgiving and gratitude and worship, Lord, I just want to thank You. I thank You, Lord, that You saved me. I thank You that I have You in my life. I, I thank You that You've given me Your Word with all these promises. And I thank You that You've taught me in Your Word that You care about me. And if I have a need, I can come to You. See, that's, that's a door. And then you offer yourself, Lord, I pray for Your will to be done in my life. Have Your will and way in me and my home and, and our church and family and so on and so forth. I want to advance Your kingdom. Uh, I want Your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. All that is preparing you for the moment when you begin to ask God for things. Because see, you can ask God for selfish things and He may say, hmm, why should I do that, right? But when you get in line with God, when you, when you come together to connect with Him, when you begin to open up your heart to love Him and worship Him, when you begin to seek God, I want Your will to be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven, and start with me, start with my heart, start with my home, start with my life, then all of a sudden we're lining up with God. And Jesus taught that if you ask and believe, you will receive. But the premise of that teaching was you're going to ask what God wants. When your will is in line with God's will, then you can ask and you know He's going to hear you and you know you're going to receive. And think about the confidence in your prayer life because you're agreeing with God on the ask. He says right here, give us today, verse 11, our daily bread. Now, God said He would meet our needs, not our greeds, okay? And so, He will meet our needs. I love what Matthew 7, the very next chapter, uh, says. In Matthew 7, verse 7, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I love that, don't you? You know, parents, you always want to Please your kids on those special occasions, birthday or Christmas. You want to surprise them. You want to wow them. You want to give them something that they have been wanting for a long time. And look, we're imperfect people. You know, compared to God, we're, we're evil because He's so holy. And we try to do things like that to make a difference in our kids' life. Well, if God is holy and pure and perfect and just, how much more will He give good things to those who ask Him? Man, that's awesome if you think about it. God says He will meet our needs, not our greeds. And so we can ask God for our daily bread. Again, notice it says, give us today our daily bread. Not 
Oh my goodness, Lord, have you been to the uh, grocery store lately? Give me enough for six months. That's not what it says, is it? It says, Lord, give us today our daily bread. In other words, there's a daily dependence in prayer. When you seek God and when you ask God, you're asking for what you need right then. Lord, give us today, okay? There's urgency there. Our daily bread. Meet our daily needs and ask God. And that's part of our model prayer is to ask God to meet our needs. The fifth thing you see in this model prayer is admit. Notice it says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, you and I have to confess. We have to, we have to acknowledge to God when there's something between He and us, when things are not right. Just like in any other relationship, you've got to break the ice. You've got to deal with a, an issue or problem. You've got to reconnect and reconcile. When it comes to our prayer life, we've got to do the same. Matter of fact, just so that you catch it, uh, as soon as he finishes the Lord's Prayer in the very next verse, verse 14, there in Matthew 6, it's kind of like a, a PS, a caveat, and a, an addendum, where he says, For if you forgive others their offenses... Your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. You know, one thing that can shut down your prayer life quicker than anything is when you have unforgiveness in your heart. God says, how can I, how can I grant forgiveness to you when you're not willing to grant that same forgiveness to someone else? And it shuts down communication between you and God. I mean, think about it. If God is willing to forgive you and I of our sins, how can we not grant forgiveness to someone else? Uh, that's a biblical teaching. And it might be a bitter pill to swallow sometimes, but that's what Scripture teaches. If we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. Remember the parable that Jesus told one time of someone who was forgiven a huge amount of debt he was forgiven this huge amount of debt. And once he got released, he went out and found someone that owed him a small amount of debt. And he threw him into prison. And when the master found out about it, he was not pleased. The implication is you and I have a huge debt before God. And if he's willing to forgive that, we ought to be willing to forgive others. And so when it comes to our prayer life, yes, we ask God for things, but we have to admit and confess our sins and our faults. Uh, matter of fact, Proverbs 28, 13 says, The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. We have to be willing to do that. The next part of the uh, model prayer that you see is armor. Uh, this reminds me of spiritual warfare because he says in the next verse, verse 13, And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You might say in one aspect that these past three verses give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and then of course lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Those are all needs, present, past, and future. You could say it that way. But here, he's, putting, he's teaching us to put on the armor. You know, Paul taught us in Ephesians 6 that we are to be strong in the Lord and, and in His mighty strength. He said in Ephesians 6 verse 11, put on the full armor of God 
so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may, may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. And in every situation, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints." Here we have what is known as the armor of God passage. The belt of truth says we're going to walk in His truth. The breastplate of righteousness says, Lord, I want you to guard my heart. The shoes of the gospel says, Lord, I'm ready to share the gospel wherever you take me. The shield of faith says I'm going to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. The helmet of salvation says I'm going to bring every thought into captivity and make it obedient to Christ. The sword of the Spirit says I'm going to speak the Word of God that He gives me and I'm going to trust what He says. I'm going to believe His promises and stand on His Word. And when you and I began to look at prayer uh, before we leave the prayer closet, we began to figuratively speaking, say, Lord, I want to put on the armor this morning. Uh, it's a new day. Thank you for a wonderful day. Thank you for giving me a night of sleep. Thank you for the opportunities that are before me. But I'm living in a fallen world. And so, Lord, I want to put on the armor. I want you, Lord, to uh, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Lord, I want to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and teach me to use the sword of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, you began to grow in your prayer life. The last thing you see here in this prayer, I would call it a firm. It says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Isn't that good? We're affirming. Before uh, Jesus finishes this model prayer, he's, a, he's affirming who we're talking to, who He is, and what He can do. And He says, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You know, I love to end my prayer on a high note. I praise God that I can talk to Him. I praise God that He listens to me. I praise God that He has a future kingdom that, that will uh, never end, that He has all authority, that He's almighty, He's powerful, that because of His glory, He alone is worthy of, of my life and my worship. And so I remind myself of who He is and I thank Him for who He is. I, I thank Him for what He's done. I praise Him. And that is the model prayer that Jesus gives us. It reminds me of that verse in Jeremiah where Jeremiah the prophet said, Oh Lord God, You Yourself made the heavens and earth by Your great power and with Your outstretched arm Nothing is too difficult to you. In other words, as you close this prayer, you have a moment where you express your faith. Lord, I believe you love me. Lord, I believe you heard my prayer. And I don't know how or when you will answer this prayer, but I believe you will. And you affirm that. You express your faith that He's in charge. He's in control. Lord, I'm putting this in your hands because you're, it's your kingdom, it's your power. To you be the glory. 
What a model prayer that Jesus gave us, if you look at it that way. It provides a, a framework, if you will. I hope you'll go back and look at these uh, seven A's, if you will, and just say, am I incorporating these things into how I pray when I pray? If not, try it, okay? Try it and see what God does in your life. I want to close with one final thing. I just simply want to ask, how's your prayer life? I'm going to give you six rapid questions. This is going to be fast. And this is going to be just a, a takeaway diagnostic tool. You can ask yourself these questions to find out maybe where you are in your prayer life with the Lord, where you might be struggling, where you might be stumbling. Maybe it will pinpoint the problem area that you have. And because the question, uh, because it's a, a questionnaire, it'll hopefully draw you to the point to where you need to answer this question in order to move forward. So here are the six questions you need to ask when it comes to your prayer life. Number one, are you consistently seeking the Lord? Now think about that. You might say, well, I prayed once. I prayed a few times. I didn't get the answer I wanted, or I didn't think it worked, so I quit. Or I only pray when, you know, I have a test that I haven't studied for, or something like that. Uh, you need to ask yourself, am I consistently seeking God? You need to pray regularly. Why? Because God wants that relationship. He wants you to learn to trust Him. The second question is, are you submitting to His will? Now, think about it. We went through three steps before we ever got to the ask part of prayer, where you ask God for something. You know, if we're truly saying, you know, our Father, we're appealing to the relationship we have with Him, holy, hallowed be your name. And then we say, Lord, I pray that your kingdom will come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, Lord, I need to pray about me. Lord, I want to offer myself to you first. Lord, have your will and your way in my life first. When you give God yourself, then it's a whole lot easier to deal with the stuff that consumes our lives. And so, are you submitting to His will? Many times, we stop and struggle in our prayers because we, we know if we get too specific. I've done this, I know. We know if we get too specific in our prayer life, God might say, yes, I want you to do that. And maybe that is the last thing we want to do. So we'll talk to God. We'll talk to Him about anything. But we're not going to talk to Him about that because we don't want to go there. We think we know what He might tell us and we don't want to hear it, so we don't go there. You know what I'm saying? And so we have to be willing to submit to God in prayer. Just like Jesus modeled for us when He was in the garden. Uh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, Your will be done. We have to be willing to do that. Are you submitting to His will? Number three, are you asking God to meet your needs? Now, how do I say this? James, I think, said it best. He says, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes, even though we know we should pray, we do everything but pray. And then we fret and we get frustrated when things don't happen the way we want. And maybe God's word is, you didn't ask me. You didn't ask me. And so when it comes to your needs, we got to learn to make God our first priority, not our last resort. Are you actually asking God to meet your needs? And is this, is this a legitimate need and not some greedy thing, okay? Because God said He will give us today our daily bread. 
Are you asking God to meet your needs? Number four, are you depending upon Him? That's pretty straightforward. You know, at the end of the day, we can come and pray, but if we walk away with the same burden on our back, we're really not trusting God. When you come to Him and you take that burden off your back and say, Lord, I can't handle this anymore. I'm giving it to you. Then when you walk away, let it go. Let Him have it. If you're going to pray the Lord and give Him this problem, then, then cut the strings and say, okay, God, I don't, I don't know when you'll deal with this. I don't know how you deal with this, but Lord, I'm giving it to you and I'm going to let you deal with it. And then learn to walk away. Depend on Him in and through prayer. Number five, are you reminding God of His promise? I love that part. Many times as you read the Bible and you pray, God will show you a promise. And, and as you go through a problem or a situation, you just kind of hold on to this promise and you begin to pray and you claim this promise because it's biblical and it's practical and God's using it to speak to you. And you're like, Lord, I'm claiming this promise. You know, your word says that if we don't worry about anything and we pray about everything, that you will guard our, our, our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus and you'll give us a, a peace that surpasses all understanding. That's a promise. And so I come to God and I go, God, I've got this problem. I, I can't figure it out. I can't solve it. I don't know what to do with it. But Lord, I'm going to give it to you, okay? And I'm going to ask for your promise. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm giving this to you in prayer. And I'm asking, Lord, that you'll give me, that you'll guard my heart and my mind. And I'm asking you'll give me that peace that's, that's beyond understanding. And you're, you're claiming a promise in prayer. And that's a biblical way to approach it. Are you reminding God of His promise? And the last question, are you willing to wait on God? Oh, wow. I forgot which one it was. It was either Ian Bounds or it could have been C.S. Lewis. I don't remember. I read a little bit of both, Devin. And uh, one of them said that one of the biggest problems we have in our prayer life is we refuse to wait on God. We, sometimes we have this false idea that God's kind of like a a drive-in window at a restaurant. We tell them what we want. We drive up a few feet and say, I'm ready. It don't always work that way. That's why when God said, you know, ask, seek, and knock, it shows a progression of prayer. It shows persistence in prayer. Sometimes I can ask God for something and He answers. Sometimes I have to seek and search until... I find God is showing me the answer. Sometimes it's urgent and important and I have to knock and knock and knock. But God says if you'll do that, if you'll ask, if you'll seek, if you'll knock, the door will be open. He promises to answer prayer, but it may not be on your timetable. It may not be on mine. So this last diagnostic question is, are you willing to wait on God? If you struggle in waiting on God, that might be the sticky point in your prayer life with God. Maybe you've got to learn to step back and say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I'm going to depend on you. And even though I wanted this done yesterday, I guess I'm just going to learn to wait. But whatever you do, don't pray, don't pray for patience. Isn't that right, Mom? Learned that a long time ago. If you pray for patience, God's going to let a lot of things go wrong in your life to test your patience. Patience. And so I wouldn't recommend that. Well, let me wind this up this morning. There's one prayer that I want to close with. It's a simple, simple prayer. And I think it's the most important prayer because it's the first prayer that you'll ever pray. What do I mean by that? You know, this model prayer that Jesus gave us, 
it starts out with saying, Our Father in heaven. It, it, it assures you that you can get His attention because you're calling on His name and you're His child. And you not only get His attention, but you give Him your attention. If that doesn't happen, how are you supposed to pray? And there is a sinner's prayer in the Bible. I'm convinced there is. You might say, well, I've heard that, but I didn't know that. Well, I'll tell you where I believe it is. It's in Luke 18, where Jesus told a parable uh, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they looked down on everyone else. And Jesus tells the story that two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. He was a religious person. And the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and he was praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not, that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector was standing far off. And he wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven. But he kept striking his chest. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I believe a friend of mine told me one time in the original language, the Greek, he's saying, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. I'm the one. Not just a sinner running around here. I'm the sinner. And I'm the one that needs help. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the tax collector who prayed, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If prayer becomes a session where you say, God, I sure do wish you would answer my prayer because I don't do this and I don't do this and I'm not like them, that prayer is going to hit the ceiling and bounce right back at you. It's not going to go very far at all. But when you, when you truly get serious about your relationship with God, and when you say, oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, in that one sentence, in that one statement of prayer, you see three things. He knows who God is. He knows who He is, the sinner. And He knows what He needs. He needs mercy. I want to challenge you today. Have you ever made that prayer your first prayer? Because that's how prayer starts. You can't say, Our Father in heaven, until you know Him. And you know how you know Him? You come to the realization that He's God, that you're a sinner. And you need His mercy to be saved. Until you pray that prayer, don't expect God to answer any prayer. Because you and I, what allows us to pray to start with is not because we're trying to impress Him, not because we're trying to be religious or pretend to be something we're not, but we come to Him on the basis of a relationship where we're a child and He's our Father and we're calling on His name and we're depending on who He is and what He's done already in our life and we're asking Him to lead us, to, to guide us, to protect us, to, uh, to do all these things. And so I want to challenge you today. Have you ever prayed the sinner's prayer? Have you ever said, in your own words, of course, with a heart of, of repentance but faith, saying, Oh Lord, 
I need you. Lord, you are God. Lord, I have sinned against you. Lord, I need you. Lord, save me. Lord, have mercy on me. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Let's all stand and musicians, if you would come. We're going to have a time of invitation. And it's my, it's my prayer today that if you've never prayed this first prayer, this sinner's prayer, that that would be the very next step you would take when you realize that He is God and you're a sinner and you need to be saved. You need His mercy. You need His grace. And you ask Him to save you. Father, have Your will and Your way in this service and in this invitation. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.